We're continuing our series in Proverbs, and uh, Proverbs is an unusual book, uh, and we've been, hopefully you can go back and listen to some of the ways we've been framing it and helping us understand, but one of the ways it's unusual, it is that it, um, uh, you can't kind of sequentially kind of work through it. It's, it's repetitive and touches multiple topics. So you're catching us this week looking at the topic of conflict, and so Webster, uh, Webster's definition of conflict says it's a fight, a battle, or struggle, especially a prolonged struggle or strife as synonyms of controversy and quarrels. The Hebrew word that was in the Proverbs there of conflict that you saw, or it was uh, mask and you translate it in different ways, but the word conflict that's often in the Hebrew word uh, means this, means a um, heated or often violent dissension, a contentious speech act or dispute where there's a strong disagreement. But what is consistent, so the Hebrew word is similar to that of our English word, uh, is this, it is relational in its nature. And so it's between two beings that this, uh, this, this happens. And so conflict really is everywhere. I really appreciate the way Kevin framed our time of assurance, uh, confession assurance apart. It is. And the reality is, is that all of us today are um, in a conflict of some sort. Uh, some sort of contention, some sort of unspoken word, and maybe you're even trying to avoid a conflict. That means you're in it, by the way, if you're avoiding it uh, in some sense. And um, if you were just to take a moment... And think of every sphere of your life, from marriage to work to family of origin to past, and take every sphere of your life, you would realize that even at this moment, there's probably some places of undealt with or contention or strife or quarrels that are hanging over you or you're a part of. And um, it could have been just as uh, you still may be in the middle of one as you got out of the car to come and walk through those doors this morning. And... um, the ultimate conflict, maybe, would be, maybe someone would say is war. And uh, do you realize that uh, right now there are three wars going on in the world with more than 10,000 casualties going on? I think Miramar, the Ukrainian war, also in Ethiopia. Um, not much research I've done, but I think there's been over 10,000, maybe 10,500 wars in history that are documented. Um, and, uh, and over the last 3,400 years of War, only 260 years of peace can be documented in the 30, last 3,400 years of existence of human beings. So uh, war may be being the ultimate in some way, but I do want to remind us this morning that con- not all conflict is bad, and there is a time that's necessary for conflict to, uh, to happen. It's necessary and can bring about uh, good things and be beneficial. And, um, and even so, we would say that the Bible actually would say when it comes to war, if we think of that broad of, a, uh, of thinking, that there's a such thing as a just war where there is a time where there is uh, oppression or, the, or some sort of thing where we would need to go into conflict in order to preserve and save human beings or some sort. So without getting into all the politics of that or figuring all that out theologically, I just want to pose the question to you to think about, um, and you can maybe think about the most recent one for our country, the Ukrainian war, but take an honest, try to dismiss political views, preferences, what you think you know, try to dismiss even being an armchair commentator or whatever's going on in the world. And imagine if you yourself were the president, a human being, and there was something going on in the world and you had to make the decision for whether or not we were to engage in war. Like the lives, the people, the families, the children, weighing all the intricacies of what that might would be. If you today, as an individual, that was on you to make that decision. Now, 
That'd be a difficult thing. I hope you feel the weight of that. And um, I can't this morning address everything about conflict. So we're only coming at it from the Proverbs, the few Proverbs we're looking at. Um, and there are whole ministries, actually, that teach <laughs> on conflict and have been created to even help people that are those in that. But just as God's people, they could look back and actually think of wars and the biggest manifestations, if you will, of all of conflicts in their own history and in the world, from the Persians to the Assyrians to the um, uh, Babylonians to the conquering of the Promised Land. I mean, there was uh, the exodus and oppression. They could look back on that. But what Proverbs is, is God said, of course, there are big wars and there are big manifestations of conflicts, but the Proverbs is God helping his people in just everyday life. And what the Proverbs is telling us is that all of us, there are big conflicts, but in essence, he knows, God knows, that you and I are constantly living among conflict. And we need great wisdom and help. From the smallest to the biggest. Remember, one of the purposes of the Proverbs we've established is that God wants his people to flourish. So he's going to help us with conflict. Um, And so... There's a great quote. I don't normally use the quotes from our Connect groups, uh, but this was at the beginning. You may have not looked at those of you in Connect groups doing the Proverbs study around the church right now. Uh, but it's on the first page, and it's from Ken Sandy. He's the uh, founder, and no longer with it, but uh, of the uh, ministry called Peacemakers. He's been a long-time help. He actually has helped our denomination in many ways. He's actually at our General Assembly. Uh, he always has a seminar there. Here's his quote that was in our uh, Connect group uh, in our uh, curriculum this week. And look here, let me read this to you. The Bible teaches that we should see conflict neither as an inconvenience nor as an occasion to force our will on others, but rather as an opportunity to demonstrate the love and the power of God in our lives. Every time you encounter a conflict, you inevitably show what you think of God. So, it's pretty powerful. And, um, uh, And so... With that being said, we'll try to look at uh, three things. Um, we'll look at the story of conflict, then we'll look at the source of conflict, and then we'll finish with the Lord steering us in conflict. We'll land on these few proverbs that we read this morning. We have to kind of figure out how to way to land there. What was God saying in these proverbs to us about conflict? So the story of conflict, the source of conflict, and the steering in conflict. I worked hard to get a third S there for you. You like that steering? Steering there for you. <laughs> All right, let me pray. God, would you we would you help us to? Um, well, we confess this morning that we believe that the cross tells us that you love us, and it also creation and the cross also tells us that you long for your people to flourish in the very creation that you created. And so, Lord, we submit that we are prone to wonder. We are prone to lose sight of what it means to, to deal with the, conf- the conflict that we encounter and um, within and within the world. And so would you help us in this moment? With the, the, Lord, we can't hear every truth that you have to say about it. But these truths for this day and this space and for your people, your manifestation of your church, universal, and this community here in Danville at Grace Church, would you, would you speak to us? May you speak to our minds and to our hearts into our hands, and, and would you let this, would you stir us uh, towards uh, the truth around this topic? In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, let's work through the story of conflict, 
And what I'm trying to do here is just show you that it is a storyline of the Bible, uh, if you will, and our existence. I'll walk you through it real quick to let you see that. Because you need to see the Proverbs is in that God's going to help us, but this is the part of the story we're part of. You'll see there, do you, have you ever thought about this in Genesis 3? One, now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field, and the Lord God made him. So this is before sin has come into the world. But actually, you and I, when we were created, human beings were made in the middle of a conflict. We have to wrestle with the idea that the serpent was a created being, and God put him in the garden. And he was at enmity with God. Now, why did God let the serpent be a part of the garden? I don't know. Bruce Petrie and Brian Ellis have offered to teach seminar right afterwards to help us with that particular. But, that, but that's a difficult one to think about. Have you ever thought about that? That even in the garden, in the place where there was no sin, man was connected to God perfectly, there was a conflict going on. Not only that, then the serpent, in Genesis 3, the second part of that verse, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat the garden? So the serpent was in conflict with us. He's moving towards to question us, to drive a wedge between us and God, and he's against us. Uh, he actually made their seem to Adam and Eve and her that maybe there was more of a wedge between her than she thought, between her and God. He's creating conflict wherever he goes. So they eat of the fruit, right? And then notice, now sin's in the world in Genesis 3, 7, and the conflict comes between man. Their first interactions, right? What has happened to Adam and Eve? It tells us that the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths, and they moved and they covered away from each other. As a matter of fact, they will blame shift when God comes to them. They begin to blame one another. Conflict is surfaced, and we know once sin comes in the world, it don't have to, we don't have to go long. The next chapter in Genesis 4 Cain kills Abel within the family. I hope I don't have to explain. Those of you who may have not read the whole Bible, it's okay. But the Bible basically is a story of a lot of humans and humans conflicting and hurting one another. In the first family, a brother kills a brother. Okay? So conflict is a story. And as a matter of fact, even if God rescues us out of that, which is what it means to become a Christian, in a sense, he... Um, uh, when God saves us, do you realize Ephesians 6.10 tells us that we're still in a conflict? That we actually have to put on the, the armor of God to fight against the enemy. But then also from the fall, Genesis, what the, eating the fruit, not only did it create conflict between each other, now the conflict is truly there's a conflict between us and God. Genesis 3.10, and I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Who are you afraid of? You're afraid of people you're in conflict with, right? Man begins to cover and move away from God, and he hid from him because I was naked and I hid myself, so in conflict with God. And um, <coughs> here's the beauty of it. What we confessed is, is that we've always been in conflict. God, all of us, you and I, are in conflict with God because we sin. We know for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the story of conflict is also this, that while we were yet enemies, Jesus turned into that conflict. He even showed us that we were in conflict with him. He illuminates our sin and says, you're an enemy and you're against me. But he moved towards us. And it's through that conflict that we actually have life. And he moves into that and he restores us by his blood and reconciles us with himself and with the Father. So even it is that our life has come through conflict. And just to give us hope about the story of conflict, in Genesis 3.15, after the fall, when God's kind of giving the curse or the results of sin to the woman, man, and to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent here, 
saying, I'll put enmity between the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the story really is two, there's either two, um, there's, there's two sides, there's only two sides in this story of creation now, and that's either you're, the, you're part of the uh, side of the serpent or the woman, and the woman represents Jesus and Christians, and there's a war going on. If you're a Christian, you've been brought from being an enemy of God, and now you're on the side of the woman. That's what it means to become a Christian. But the hope is, what I want you to see is, is even though this conflict is going on and we can't understand it, do you see that God sets the parameters? He's like, this is what the conflict will be. And then he secures the outcome. And he says, he, meaning Jesus, which is our first foreshadowing of Jesus himself, will crush you, serpent, and you will only strike his head. So even though there's a story of conflict, for us, this story of conflict, it is, it is ruled and we have hope this conflict is ruled by our sovereign God and King. So, Grace Church, we remember today we are in a conflict. We are, it is a part of our story. But the story for his people has been won in the solution. And as a matter of fact, it will be through conflict in the end. When he comes for, the, for us, that the last conflict where he conquers all sin and brings us to glorification, it is through that conflict that you and I will no longer have the, com- have the presence of sin. So that's the story, and we're a part of it. So um, there was an old joke by Jerry Clower, who was a comedian. I don't know if I remember him. He told the story of a, a, of, um, of a raccoon hunt. They call it coon hunting, right? And he got there, and he had to climb up in the tree, and, and uh, told, I think it was the story of his dog. He uh, he climbs up in a tree and he's having to fight a coon, right? You have to chase a coon. The coon will go up in a tree once you hunt it. I've been coon hunting, by the way. And when you get there, and then the, the goal is to get the coon to come down so that the dogs can kill it. It's, not, it's really not that much of a sport, but that's what they do. And, um, <laughs> and so Jerry Clower says he goes up and he fights the coon. And he, for some reason, he has to go up in the tree and just keep, and they go, hey, you, you okay? And he's, he finally yells down, hey, man, somebody shoot up amongst us. Because one of us needs relief. <laughs> and that's kind of our story. I think we come in and say, somebody just, the conflict is everywhere. Someone shoot on amongst us. I just need relief. And um, I think that's what God is trying to do with us and as we try to move towards, as we see the story. It seems like we need relief. Relief is coming. It has come. And the Lord gives us uh, relief and how to navigate this. So let's transition then to the source of the conflict. Um, where is the source? And so where is the source of all this conflict now as the Bible speaks? So let's first, in order to set up the source, um, I first want to look at Proverbs 1-7, which is kind of the theme verse of all of Proverbs. Let's go back to that. We keep going back to it. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Now, we've established that fear is not a, a scared, it's a, it's a reverent fear to be in all of and to be connected to God. I would argue to us again this morning that that verse, the theme verse of, of uh, all of Proverbs, really is the, 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 the Genesis story. How do you live in wisdom in God's creation? You stay in all and connected to God. What happened in Genesis to Adam and Eve? They, the serpent was able to make them think that God was not as worshipful and didn't care about them, made them question him, and all of a sudden you lose wisdom. 
So what God is saying, what we've established is, is that the way we live in wisdom and live in conflict and how to navigate it well is to understand that we, in a sense, have to be connected to the right source. We have to be connected to him in that. Now notice the capital uh, L there, it should be in that. It's not uh, in that time, but some of the ESV doesn't do it. But the capital Lord oftentimes in the Proverbs is referring to Yahweh, the Exodus name given to God. So if you're a, a Jew and you're living at this time and place and, you're at, and the Proverbs are to help you in everyday life of family and all your conflicts, what God is saying, in a sense, is you must remain connected to God. What, do you, what does it mean to be in all him? Well, think of him as the Lord, the Yahweh, the one who, remember, he's the one who rescued us out of Egypt. The one who, when we were in our slavery and could do nothing about it, he entered the world and he rescued us. In his kindness, he heard us, he listens. Keep remembering. Stay connected to that thought. Don't lose sort of sight of Yahweh. Wisdom flows and comes from that. Fools despise understanding that wisdom flows from seeing Yahweh and worshiping him. Now, you and I now have the better exodus, right? We have the better, we have a full, we have the exodus and we have Jesus. And so we have the fullness of the, of the cross to substitute that. And so, to, uh, and so the important thing to do uh, to remember then is that uh, your existence is in day to life is to ultimately stay connected to God to have the right source. All right? Now, let's go to James 4. But where does conflict come from? Where does it come from? What causes quarrels among you, what causes fights among you, is, not, is it not this, that your passions are at war? Where are they at war? Not out there. They're within us. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. See the desire there? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. So the passions are still what are ruling you. You're adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There is therefore wishes. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him as an enemy of God. So what is it that makes, the course, makes us quarrel? Why do we do it? Because we have passions within us, and they're unmet, and we look to a different source. Look, as soon as what they did, you look out there. It says that the passage tells us that you desire not, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. The idea of coveting is to see. You begin to look around other than God, just like, uh, just like it happened in the Genesis story, and then you look for a place for your desires to be met. And once that happens, look what's happening. You murder, and you're at enmity with God. That's where quarreling comes, when you lose sight of it. We have passions at war within us, and you desire and you don't have, so you murder. There's something going inside you to move you towards uh, away from God. So do you see the tension that? Uh, Proverbs 1, uh, the Proverbs 1, 7 tells us all in intimacy is where wisdom flows from. But we have these desires. And at the moment that we look other than from God to meet the hope of these desires, when we look at that, now we create quarrels in our life. And so the battle of the Christian is the battle of Proverbs 1, 7. It is to what must I do to live in a way that I remember that God, my, the battle is a battle of faith to see and remember and to see God for who he is and to rest in that and continue to do that because I am prone to look for my desires to find hope in other places. That's what I'm prone to do. Now, I have an illustration here. I don't know how well it will look up here this morning. Let's see. This diagram, it may not even made the cut now. 
It's two trees. Do you see it? It didn't make it. You said we lost it. Okay. Well, what the, tr- what the diagram would have showed you is that the, I forget where the diagram comes from, but it's a good one. I've been using it for a long time. I would give credit to whoever I could, but I can't right now. All right? But it's not mine. But what the diagram begins to show is that basically there's four idols of all of our desires. You can put it in four categories. Those four categories are control, power, approval, or comfort. All right? You're going to look for an idol of control, power, approval, or comfort. Now, believe that the deepest root of sin is from the garden is the lack of faith, to lose sight of who God is and pride. All right? That's the core sin behind all of them. I want what I want, I don't care what God says, and I'm going to go find it somewhere else. And where are the categories we look are control, power, approval, and, and uh, comfort. And what I offer you this morning is that, that uh, for you, that's the battle that's going on in your quarrels, whether you know it or not. It, you can probably classify your idols that make you, uh, that may bring quarrels to you in those four categories and think about it. I'll share with you mine. I have over time figured out what well, I think of those four, which is the primary one of mine, and mine is comfort. All right? So I comfort eat. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, comfort is my core al- idol. And uh, listen, I've done Enneagram, I'm a seven, I'm Myers-Briggs, I've done judgment indexes that they do for Saban, and Nick Saban does for his football team. I've done all of them. I've t- I'm assuring you that my idol is comfort, okay? So you say, well, so I, if you don't like me, what I've learned is, the reason I don't, that it's not I need approval. It makes me uncomfortable. When I feel powerless, I don't need power today. I just, it makes me uncomfortable, when I feel out of control and I can't get my life in order, the core for me is like, it just, it's uncomfortable. It feels painful to me. So let me give you a scenario. Um, in my job, uh, my unique vocation, as you know, is to be a pastor. And so as I, as I do that, I, um, one of the prevailing feelings I have is that um, whatever I'm doing, I should be doing something else. And sometimes, uh, so if I'm spending time with people, I should be writing a sermon. If I'm during the sermon, I should probably be trying to evangelize the lost. I mean, I, I have this prevailing feeling. And, I, and I'm sure you can translate this to your job as well or in different ways and different struggles. So I have that feeling, and I also feel like I can never do enough. There's no way to do it all. That there's always needs. There's always a loss to reach. There's always people who are hurting. There's always uh, more um, battles to win and places to go. So I, that makes me very uncomfortable, and it can stir in me. Then guess what happens? I walk into my home. And when I walk into the home, conflict, usually I don't have it, it doesn't come out here, but I walk into the home, and I see a house, and for some reason this day, there's a few shoes out, and the kids will testify. There's a few shoes out, and the house is in disorder or whatever, or if we're, whatever, something, and I, it does, and I don't see, what I long to see is perfect order in the spotless house. That's right. But you know why? Because that makes me feel comfortable. But oftentimes, I don't, that's not there. And nobody can keep that all the time. And I walk in, and guess what happens? I begin to bark, get mad, require perfection in rooms and in cleaning and places, that, and quarrels begin to happen in my home. Now, um, it's waging within me. Now, here, um, the goal, this is what the illustration would have said, is we dig down into that and say our core idols. What we need to do in order to, to address that is to move over and to think, but 
But who is God? I've forgotten what God's like, the Yahweh. And I've forgotten what he's accomplished for me. And that real peace comes from having him. He gives me peace. Peace isn't found in the world or my life in order or doing my job perfectly. Real peace is found from the one who's come to me. And what he says about me is that my standing in him is not because I am a, um, uh, I'm a, good, I'm a good pastor or that I'm a good father. His, my standing with him is that I'm his son and he loves me according to his mercy and his grace. And so as I work my way from, as I, I'm angry, I consider my idol. And so if I'm rightly handling that, what I will say to my children or to my wife is say, listen, there was a battle going on. I, I, I wanted, I felt like I was, I was uncomfortable all day and I hated it. And then I decided I could fix it by, by conquering you and conquering our house. And I didn't look to God. And that quarrel has continued. Would you forgive me? Because Christ has forgiven me and he softened my heart to admit that to you. The source of our quarrels is our unmet desires that are only to be found in Christ. So lastly, so we can finally get to the Proverbs. While this is, the, I'm still trying to figure out how to preach the Proverbs, honestly. So here we land to the actual passages we've read. So when it comes to these, God, I think God just says, this isn't the complete solution for all conflicts. But here's just some wisdom. It looks at the world and says, he says, here's some things that will help you. Remember, Proverbs is a pathway. Here's a few words that will help you as you do the battle within. Some things you can recognize. First, we look at our passages. We looked at this week, some of them, was this. is in um, The first, and I kind of put it in three ways. The first one is just caution. Just don't be impulsive and move towards conflict. So if you'll begin to recognize this and hear this, look what it says in Proverbs 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Now, in the uh, CS be, or the one that's in our uh, connect groups, so it says the start of conflict is to release a flood. You say that when it says it lets out water? It could have been translated to the release of flood or breaching a dam, is actually what the NIV says. So one of the things that's cautionous to us about, uh, the reason the proverb is cautionous is saying this, is that look, if you don't avoid conflict or always jumping into it and don't use caution, dude, Conflict's like releasing a dam, a flood. Remember, they're understanding this is a dry land, right? This is the east. This is desert country. And so when they hear flood, they think, destruction. And so the caution is, listen, whenever you move, when you see a conflict, the beginning of strife, conflict is like letting a dam break loose. And note when it says there, and so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Uh, when it, that word breaks out, when you translate it in the Hebrew, it would have been a translation as before it takes you to the ground. Before it pins you. And so the idea, then the warning is, is be cautious. There's big consequences and try to head off the conflict beforehand. That's just the practical wisdom here before the dispute starts. In the pandemic, right? No matter what your life was like, but I had five kids at home trying to do stores, I mean, trying to do school. But they were living in rooms together. We were saving space and sharing bunks and multiple rooms. Guess what we decided? Whoo, we got to head off disputes. We gave everybody a room. Somebody moved into the den. Somebody moved their bed into that. We just like, you got to have a room. That's the principle. You see that? We saw lots of conflicts coming. Why? Because people are sinners. And we thought about how can we head off the disputes. There's lots of ways. But the principle he's saying is be cautious because it's like a dam breaking. And think of ways to get around it if you can. No? It's okay. It's, there's a lot of Proverbs that tell us that in conflict they can be good in that way as well. But it's a caution that. Proverbs 26, 17. Whoever meddles in a quarrel 
not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. There's the Proverbs again using memorable things to get us to memorize that. And so what it's saying is your caution is don't, don't basically mind your own business. Don't just jump into them. Don't be so quick to jump in sometimes. Think about mind your own business. The idea of a dog there is interesting. I spent more time studying dogs this week in the scriptures than I intended to. I kind of got on a rabbit trail. But the idea is this, is that dogs were never thought of positively in the scriptures, right? They were actually uh, scavengers. If they were ever domesticated, they were only domesticated to eat their scavengers, a scavenger in their home. So they were just dirty. They think about what we think about rats, right? And most of them were wild. Uh, actually, some translations would be more rightly to say, not just a dog here, to maybe be a mad dog. The implication was a dog kind of out of control. And it hurts a dog to grab him by his ears. So don't meddle in other things. It's like grabbing a dog. You'll get, it's dirty, and he'll get you, right? That's the point. Don't do that. And so you can see the sense of the caution that the Scriptures are saying. And then like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows and death, he's the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. I don't know about you. I read that. I was like, is that in the Bible? I read the Bible three or four times through, five, I don't know how many times, but it's like, I don't remember that. Oh, I'm only joking. Is that in the Bible? I think here is even the idea is to be cautious um, and that you can be causing it more than you realize. Now, the madman there is probably a jester or someone who's just an instigator. It's what you think it is. But let me remind you of this. Even joking words, words are still powerful, the Scriptures teach us. And we know that words still come from the heart. They're never disconnected from the heart. So oftentimes we hide and we joke about things and we hurt people and set the course for life. Many people have been hurt by joking words. So you see the caution that he was giving from those. Now, I, I realize that sometimes that one in particular, one the joking one, Sometimes, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're not like me, but this is the way I think about it. It's like, come on, you got to be able to take a joke, right? I mean, what world do we live in if you can't joke? And so that is true as well. Remember the Proverbs coming at it from different sides. It's not always talking about both sides. It is true that we should be able to laugh and be secure enough with one another that we can joke and kid. But the Proverbs trying to tell you, but be weary, be cautious. Joking hurts. It still comes from your heart. Do you feel the warning of that? about conflicts. And by the way, that reminds me of a pattern that oftentimes we forget, is that we, <laughs> when I walked into my house and I processed what I had done wrongly with my desires and inwardly, I could have walked in there and said, but wait a minute, my kids, aren't they supposed to learn how to respect me and do what I say? And aren't they supposed to, aren't we supposed to steward what we have in our home and take care of it? And aren't I supposed to be respected? I mean, I could, and the answer to that is yes. But see, the way the Proverbs teach is not, you don't think about what, of course they could all be doing that. The pro, point of the proverb is what's going on inside of you. And so we all <laughs> enter in and interact with each other with a lot. That doesn't mean that my children don't, whatever, need to learn how to clean our house. It doesn't negate that. What the proverb is trying to teach us is that how you approach it, this is what's going on in you. Or don't be a man. Be careful when you joke. Do you see that? It can be just as true that we ought to be so secure and kind and trust one another that we can laugh about things. But the proverb is warning. It's a pathway moving you this way. Don't go too far to the other ditch. And You see that? So that's what it's trying to do. Caution. The steering. God steers his people with his verses and says, use caution. So the point is, don't go 
Don't be quick to jump into conflict. Think about it, right? Just as that illustration of just war. That's why I did that as the open illustration. You have to think about whether or not a just war. You think that what it's like to be Churchill or to be whoever it was in deciding whether to go to war. You have to think about it. And the Proverbs kind of say, don't just jump in. That will benefit you. That will help you to thrive. God wants you to thrive. The other one is comparison here. And um, I put the other translations, but Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is a slow to anger is better than the mighty, and who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. So he's just, here are the Proverbs just telling you, it's just better to be patient than to be in conflict, and just compare that. That comparison in this reality is better for you. God is saying, this is the best way to function in my world. And notice the patience, I like the way the CSB does, it says patience is better than power. But the patience... Um, or in the ESV, says slow to anger is better than the mighty. So that mighty there, and the CSB does power, but the mighty, you see the NIV says a person is a warrior. That word there is probably a person. So although the CSB, I think, is probably the worst of the three in the translating of it, because it's a person. So it's saying patience is better than a mighty warrior. So let me put it another way. It would have been understood as a hero. To be patient is better than to be a hero. To be one to call it, that, that's the thing to, to marvel at, to love, to be a part of. And then notice this, and he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. So two things it compares it to. It's better to be patient and slow to anger than it is to be a hero, to be a mighty warrior, to conquer. It's better than that. That could have been esteemed in their day. And then, it's, then he who rules his spirit or his emotions, it's better to control your emotions, emotions than, to, than to conquer a city. Now what that ought to tell you is, to conquer the emotions within you is like conquering a city. It's really hard. But the other thing it should tell you is that it's of great, great importance. Legendary conquerors such as Alexander, Julius Caesar, and William the Conqueror, they created and they expanded their lands because of their desire to rule, combined with great personal ambition. The ambition, I looked at some of the things, what were some of the ambitions of war? It was expand influence and spread their empires, land, more people, more way of taxes, more tribute, more wealth. So to, to, to conquer a new land was one of the most attractive things you could do to conquer a people. It meant industry and a, maybe a, a, a waterway and a land and all kinds of things. It's what you would want to expand. That was the way the whole world thought. And he's saying this, to control your emotions is better than to do that. It's better for you to conquer your emotions than to do anything to conquer another people. Maybe to say it a different way. It's better for our terms today. It's better for you and I to, to hold our emotions, to learn to conquer them, to, than to um, start a new business and make millions of dollars. It's better than to create a, a website and have, uh, whatever, millions of followers. Whatever it may be, to hold the emotions and lastly, the cure. Um, it's not really the whole cure, but there's a comparison from the Proverbs. He's saying, compare it to these. Think about it this way. This will help you know. Think about how to control your emotions. That's better than anything you can do. And lastly, the cure. I wanted to add this one. You didn't look at this one this week, but Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Notice it's to your glory to overlook an offense. So one of the first steps, I just say it this way. There's way more things you can overlook than you realize. I think the peacemakers, I forget what they think percentage-wise how we should learn to live in overlooks with each other. It's a high percentage. Meaning, unless it creates a huge, huge wall and wedge between you and the person, meaning a big one, or there's bodily harm or abuse or something going on, other than that, we should look to overlook 
Why? Because Christ is always overlooking. He didn't point out every sin all the time that you and I are doing. He patiently endures with us. And so to overlook. But then the other one, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. The cure. So if you and I begin to overlook, then we have a chance to really prosper and it will help our conflicts. But the other one is probably the most important one, I think. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. This is the log spec. Jesus is saying in every conflict, or God is saying here, and Jesus comes back to say it with a log example. If you will view your sin and your issues as the primary problem in all of your relationships and see them as the log, no matter, no matter which one's really the speck or the log, but if you'll see your sin as the log, then what happens? You obtain mercy. Maybe say another way, you and I begin to live in shalom. The goal is not to win. The goal is to receive mercy. So, let me finish with this. How does this, how does this affect me or you in God's world? How do we walk away? How do we walk away um, from this, um, this morning? So, couple thoughts. First, just remember and rest in the Lord. Um, remember, remember Yahweh. Remember what Christ demonstrated and rest in that because it is an overwhelming task to think. Nobody here as we move forward, especially because of this sermon or any other reason, will ever deal with conflict perfectly. You need to rest in that. That's why Christ died. And you need to rest in the fact and remember that he will, he will one day settle all the accounts of those conflicts that you're in, that he will work it out. Those that are lingering and those that are going on, rest in that. He is the one who perfectly is perfectly patient. He only comes at us and jumps in and points out things when it's appropriate. He never treats us as dogs and, and is, never responds that way, like barking at us. He is always treating us perfectly. And he really is the true hero. And, when we, hero, and, he, and he had no sin to admit. And yet he humbled himself to move towards us and to help us with ours. So rest in that, remember it. And then lastly, um, examine, uh, examine your life in light of these Proverbs. Examine your conflicts and a lot of these proverbs and consider your own idols. That would be the two points. So examine your conflicts. Think about the conflicts you're in and think about what could these proverbs that we've looked at this week, how could they help me? Have I jumped in? Have I, have I not confessed my own sin? Have I, been, have I not thought about how important that this is like a dam and tried to avoid it? What way? Examine those and also consider the core idols. What are the idols within your own heart, whether it might be power or control or approval or comfort? Which one of those do you look to instead of having all intimacy with God? Let's pray. Lord, would you um, let us respond here um, and in a way that would be um, honoring to you? And Lord, I, it is a daunting task to try to figure out how to live in your world with conflict. But we, um, so therefore we need your help. We need your grace and your strength. We need your forgiveness in it. Uh, in every direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.